Seven. What's the weirdest movie you've ever seen? I'm gonna have to say that movie Kids. Have you seen it? No, I know about it. I it's been one of those that's kind of on my list, and I'm kind of like, do I want to watch this? Yeah, and I don't know if I mean it. De- the movie's definitely um, a little strange, but I think it was also just like when you watch a movie, it's all about the experience, right? Like your 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 state of mind, also your environment um, influences how you view the film, right? It's right. kind of, you know, um, inevitable. So I watched it my freshman year of college with um, my dear friend, Peyton. Um, oh, we in, love Peyton. Yes, in his um, college dorm, which can only be properly described as a cell block. <laughs> um, the like, gel tango? Like. Yeah, yeah, it was... It, it was it was um, a very cold environment. Uh, sounds that, like a sounds like a college dorm room to me. Yeah, um, it was called Draper. It was um, Ew. it was not it was not cute, but yeah. And I'm sure we had been like drinking or smoking or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I really thought you were gonna say it could only be described as a hive of scum and villainy. I suppose it could be that too. <laughs> what about you? Um, there's a few. I. I hate that I said weirdest, just because, like, in the same way we say that no food is weird. Yeah. I feel more or less the same about, like, art in general. Yeah. Um, That being said, there's worst weirdest and most interesting weirdest. So I'd say probably worst weirdest, but I love it, is Trolls 2. Troll 2, sorry. Not Trolls 2. (laughs) Troll 2. (laughs) That we bring up all the time on this podcast. Oh, my God. Uh, It is one of my favorite movies to watch because it is just absurd yeah um it makes no sense in a good way like it's 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 just a fun bad movie but it doesn't make any sense like so a weird in that way and then yeah and then the most interesting weirdest is probably cabinet of dr caligari okay and i I weird aesthetically you know like i i love german expressionism we've talked about that movie we've talked about nosferatu like yeah but it's, I guess it's weird because it's not something that, it's not a language that I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, literally German, right? But like, I mean more the vi- film visual language. Yeah. That I, so I find it weird because, or like strange in a good way. Yeah. How's that for an answer? Yeah. No, that was good. So, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that answer. I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. <laughs> hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Eraserhead? I sure do. Uh, I mean, I suppose I should say, do you mean the David Lynch 1977 feature debut film? Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to mistake this for anything else. <laughs> it's pretty hard to. Yeah. Uh, what's your history with this movie? Um, This was actually my first time seeing it. I've seen... Which I really thought you had seen it before. No, I've seen other David Lynch things, but not, not this one, which is... Um, I, I feel like that's not normally people's david lynch journey but you know Hmm. to each to each their own i suppose yeah i for me it was i have tried to see this movie so many times in the last like 13 to 15 years yeah because um i i ran with a pretentious crowd in college i know that's shocking very shocking i'm shocked look at me look at this face i am shocked i mean i lived in the art house fuck off um i'm a galatarian as fuck but my friends would always be like, oh, I can't believe you haven't seen Eraserhead. How have you not seen Eraserhead? You should watch Eraserhead. I'm like, all right, then show it to me. Like multiple of them had DVD copies of it, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, okay, so show me Eraserhead. And they'd be like, yeah, totally, we'll watch it soon. We'll get really stoned and like go, we'll watch it. It's fucking fucked up. It's so weird. But every single time they would watch it, it would be when I was working at night or in a night class or in studio hours or rehearsals. And I was like, I would come back and they're like, oh, man, you missed Eraserhead. And it's like, you, what? What? This is now your fault. Like you did, they did this multiple times. Mm-hmm. They would say like, "We gotta watch it." And I'm like, "Okay, let's watch it." And they're like, "Not right now. We gotta, we gotta do something. I got stuff to do." But like, we'll watch it. And I'm like, "All right, great." So Bet. it was just missed opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, but now it's it's on HBO Max. So yeah. for for everyone out there who hasn't seen it, in case you're listening to this episode before you see it, <laughs> um, it is out there on HBO Max. If you have that, or download it. David Lynch doesn't care. That's true. I, he would I, he would probably help you find a torrent. He, he probably would not care. <laughs> For legal reasons, that is a joke. Yes. I'm Nicole. I'm Topher taking a sip of coffee. And we are the Horror Babes. Accurate. Here to talk about Eraserhead. Do hey. David Lynch's worst nightmare, which is analyze his work. I know. Kind of, you know. <laughs> it feels like a betrayal of dad. Well, yeah. And, you know, analyzing any of his work is, is futile. So <laughs> this will... This will be a journey, but mm-hmm. one I'm very excited for. So just in case you're new here, we're going to follow the normal format. That is, Tover's going to take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then I will take us through the plot, and then we will analyze or attempt to analyze. Again, futile, said plot. <laughs> so, Tover, aside from David Lynch, who made this thing? Also David Lynch and also David Lynch. It's like this, when you talk about David Lynch films, it's kind of like talking about John Carpenter films. Yeah. He he has a hand all over it. Yes. So just to really quickly say, he did the direction. He wrote it. He produced it. He edited it. And he did most of the music for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, this is a David Lynch film up and down. Or, sorry, a film by David Lynch up and down. Yes. Uh, But beside him, or besides him, I don't know how to use words. Eh, It's 2022. (laughs) Who needs words anymore? We just use emojis. Yeah, we've gone past that. You start posting on Twitter, and this is just—it's just the plot synopsis, the analysis, and emojis. <laughs> Have you seen those ones that are like something entirely like super sexual, but it's only—it's an acronym? I yeah, and I can never figure them out because I'm a virgin. <laughs> <gasps> oh my god! Wow. In God's eyes. <laughs> Go light a candle. Um, <laughs> no, I can always figure out like the last like five. And that, but then, and then sometimes the beginning, but it's it's the middle that I'm like, what does this mean? That's what it means to be a millennial. That's somewhat close to Gen Z, but not really. They were not that close to Gen Z. <laughs> closer, closer than than. Aren't there like earlier millennials and then later millennials? I'm as close to Gen X as I am to Gen Z. Okay. I'm dead in the middle. Okay, then I'm, I'm closer to Gen Z then. Barely. <laughs> I you love Gen Z. You ain't young, bitch. I, I'm, I'm aware, but I also <laughs> am just going to shout out Gen Z because I love y'all. Y'all are dope. Y'all are dope. All right. So who else made this movie? Topher? I'll, well, thank you, Topher, for asking. I'll help you out. So it stars John Nance or Jack Nance as our protagonist, Henry Spencer. Mm-hmm. You know where you know him from, don't you? Every other single David Lynch project. He does use the same people. Dune. Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, and uh, you might have heard of a little place called Twin Peaks. Never heard of it. There's a fish bow, in the percolator. Mm. She's going to sing the theme song for the rest of the No, he's, he's my favorite. <laughs> he is. You do love Pete. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> poor put upon Pete. 
He's the one who finds Laura Palmer. He is. So we also have Charlotte Stewart as Mary X, mm-hmm. our uh, our romantic dalliance, one of them, who again is another twi- another Twin Peaks person. She played Betty Briggs. Mm, nice. Yeah, um, I mean she's done a bunch of other things too. Like she has, yeah, she's been everywhere. But uh, that's the that's her Lynch connection, I guess, is that she started with him and then was there when he really really broke out. You know. Yeah, I mean they're. There's the term Lynch girls for a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all look alike. <laughs> he continues to uh, collect them, per se. I mean, even in the reboot of Twin Peaks. Uh, Alan Joseph is her father, Mr. X, or his name's Bill, right? I think so. Ben or Bill? I think so. I don't I don't see it listed It's here, just but... Mr. X, yeah. Okay, yeah. Who talks about how his arm is completely numb. <laughs> David Lynch always just throws in, like, weird ailments for people. Right. Like, in everything. Yeah. Jeannie Bates as Mrs. X, the mother. Mm-hmm. Judith Roberts as the beautiful girl across the hall. Uh, she's also, she's done a bunch of stuff as well. Not as much with David Lynch. I don't think she became a Lynch girl. Right. Uh, but she's been all over the place. She's had a long career. Mm-hmm. And still working, too. Yeah. Good I for her, right? It. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Laurel Near as the lady in the radiator. With a bunch of prosthetic shit all over her face. <laughs> there, There is always a lady in the radiator. There really is. There's one um, in my old apartment that I'm pretty positive was a, was a really big Stomp fan. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really bad joke. I'm that sorry. It was a terrible joke. It's a terrible joke. I'm laughing at how bad it was. I'm just imagining now like a lady in the radiator and that's why it makes horrific noises. It is. It's like exactly a moaning why. myrtle situation. Yeah, I get you. God, now I'm going Harry Potter. I, I'm just going to... I quit. I quit. And finally, Jack Fisk as the man in the planet. Man in the planet. <laughs> like, no wonder David Lynch and um, David Bowie were buddies. Right. Like, it just makes sense. It's like, a you know, when you like... You know, when you have two friends on opposite sides of like your circles and you're like, you guys need to meet. <laughs> you would like be best bros. I feel like that's what happened with them. I like that. It's just, it's, it's, I, I, I paint silly little pictures in my mind, and that's one of them. My silly little thoughts. <laughs> Thinking my silly little thoughts. On my silly little mental health walks. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 100%. Uh, yeah, so I already said the music was by David Lynch. Um, cinematography was initially done by Herbert Cardwell, but he left due to. Production reasons. Um, this movie took years and years to make. Mm-hmm. Literally years. Like they would start a shot. There was um, so the scene where Henry first walks into his apartment. Mm-hmm. The shot where he walks to the door and has the conversation with the beautiful lady across the hall. Yeah. And then the shot where he walks into his apartment. Those were shot a year, full year apart. That's wild. Right. Um. And yeah, Cardwell really didn't do anything else. Um, I, he died actually shortly after this. Mm-hmm. Um, he left for another film, but I don't know what it was. Uh, did, I couldn't find that information. Yeah. Um, but he was replaced by Frederick Elms, who is amazing. Um, a big fan of his. He did shoot a bunch. He shot a bunch of uh, David Lynch work. He is also. Uh, he shot Patterson, which was a big deal film um, with the uh, what's his name, Adam Driver. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's worked with Kaufman. He's worked with Jones. Uh, he's worked with Jim Jarmusch. Uh, he's done a bunch of really cool stuff. And then we don't always shout these people out, and we really, really should. Sometimes it's a time issue because sometimes it's a big production movie. Yeah. And it's just, we'd be here for days. Right. But a few people here I do want to shout out. Uh, first, Alan Splett. Um, he did a lot of the the sound design for this movie. He oh, and nice. he and Lynch worked together on the sound design. It's great. Very closely. Yeah, I was gonna shout that out for sure. We definitely are gonna talk about that. And then uh, I I don't always shout out the second unit or AD, but I should more because it's a great job mm-hmm. and so much of how a movie actually happens. And it was uh, Catherine E. Coulson who is actually in some cuts of this movie. But she was actually married to John Nance at the time. Oh. Um, I, they may still be married. I'm actually not sure. But Catherine Coulson's fantastic. Um, yeah. She was the log lady. Oh, she passed. She did. A few years ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, they were married. Um, and she was like a big part of getting this movie made. Wow. Yeah, she was a huge part of it. I love log lady. In fact, her and Jack Nance put up their own money Damn. to help get this movie, to help fund this movie. And you know who else... Uh, put money behind this movie. Me. I sure hope not. That means you're alive. lying about your age. I know I wasn't alive. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Sissy Space. Sissy Spacek. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Right. Carrie herself. That's yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, she Carrie was Carrie mar- herself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was a. Uh, this is a student film, technically. Yeah. Uh, but it had a budget of about ten grand. From most uh, most judgments, mm-hmm. and in box office, it has made seven million dollars. Wow! Talk about a you know big hit indie. You know, I mean, this is definitely one that I could see people walking away from it, not really knowing how to describe it, and just being like, "You just have to see it." Yeah, and that's enough to entice someone to go see it, in my opinion. Um, I mean, they they said I read a lot um, about audience reactions to this, and it was across the board, just like silence for a moment and then a roar of applause right because you're just like what just happened and then you realize totally that was actually pretty brilliant i loved that and yeah yeah um and then the last two shout outs uh in music are fats waller who did all the organ music oh nice and peter ivers who wrote the music for this the only song in the movie in heaven mm-hmm. um and lynch wrote the, wrote the lyrics for it honest honestly i respect organs so much <laughs> they keep us alive no i mean like the the music instrument like the one fred willard plays in the i think you should leave sketch the like the one in like most churches oh that's boring i like the one that fred willard plays in i think you should leave well any of them anyway they just be sounding <laughs> so crazy they do they are, just, they are dope they just come out there and they're like this is me i sound insane but i'm gonna get your attention <laughs> like in the churches like before the sermon starts i'm gonna get your fucking attention because i sound crazy and abrasive but amazing i'm not i'm not shitting on organs i just think that they i wish i could be more like an organ just like loud and like this is what i sound like <laughs> and people will listen so that's enough talking about who made this uh, very small production <laughs> so you want to tell us what happens in this movie because someone needs to tell me what happens in this movie i have my work cut out for me but here we it's, go it's vibes is what happens it vibes we're just vibing for 90 minutes straight or however long it is 89 minutes yeah we're just vibing for 89 minutes straight 
The last minute is for you to just sit there staring at the screen wondering what you just saw. So, like you said, the man in the planet, he's moving levers in his home in space. You know, typical <laughs> way to start a movie. Um, while the head of Henry Spencer floats in the sky. A spermatozoon. Sp- <laughs> it's not Brigadoon. It's spermatozoan. It's just a sperm. <laughs> Spermatozoon. Look, it doesn't have the thing on top of it. You got so how was I supposed to know? <laughs> it says O-O-N. Fair enough. Starting from the beginning of the plot because you're being an asshole. True. So, like you said, the man in the planet is moving <laughs> livers in his home in space. Looking like shit. While the head of Henry Spencer floats in the sky. You know, a normal way to start a horror movie. Normal yeah. way to start any movie. Why not? Exactly. Who wouldn't do this? A spermatozoan... <laughs> Like creature, which is basically just like a little little spermy guy. Little spermy guy. Emerges from Spencer's mouth, floating into the void. If you've ever seen a David Lynch film, you're like, yeah, that's about right. Um, <laughs> and then it drops into a fucking puddle, and that's the beginning of the movie. That's yeah. the first six minutes of the movie. Yep. And then in an industrial cityscape, Spencer walks home with his groceries. He is stopped outside his apartment by the beautiful girl across the hall who informs him that his girlfriend, Mary X, has invited him to dinner with her family. Spencer leaves his groceries in his apartment, which is filled with piles of dirt and dead vegetation. We're in like a post-apocalyptic looking Yeah, I'm ass. trying to figure out what this timeline is, and I'm going to just go ahead and say it's a lynch world, and I can't ask questions because asking questions is not the fucking point. Yeah, it most definitely is. And this movie also begs you to ask, when was this made? Like, if someone had no knowledge of this movie or anything, and they just, like, went in blindly, watched it, they'd be like, uh, was this made in the 70s? Was this made in the 30s? I don't fucking was know. Was it made yesterday? Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So then that night, Spencer visits X's home, conversing awkwardly with her mother, and then at the dinner table, he's asked to carve a chicken that, it, that X's father has, quote-unquote, made. Um, this is disgusting. The bird moves and writhes on the plate and then gushes blood when it's cut. And the mom is like freaking out. She has like a full on like psychic moment. Yeah. She has her mother who is catatonic and will only smoke a cigarette. She uses her mother's hands to mix the salad. It's It's just, I mean, I love it. It's absurd and it's fine. So then after dinner, Spencer is cornered by X's mother, who tries to kiss him. And she she tells him that X has had his child and that the two must marry. X, however, is not sure if what she bore was a child. Which, it's not even human. Which, this is how I feel when I look at any baby. <laughs> Nicole's baby hate is well known. I hate babies. They're That's fine. ugly as fuck. And anyone who tells you that your baby is cute, unfriend them. They are lying to you. No baby is cute. They get cute when they're like two or three, except then they they have a bad personality because they're just like yelling and little terrors all the time. But like no infant is attractive. All right, babe, let's keep moving. I'm just trying to put into perspective what I see when I look at babies and it looks like this. Heard. Understood. He's trying to shut Noted. me up. He's trying to shut me up. I am up. trying to silence your narrative. You're right. <laughs> Um, So then the couple move into Spencer's one-room apartment and begin caring for the child. A swaddled bundle with an inhuman snake-like face. See? This is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a slimy E.T. 
um, resembling the spermatozoan creature seen earlier. What are you, just little sperm boys, little sperm guys. I like the word spermatozoan. Fair enough. Better than earlier when you pronounced it like Brigadoon. I'm not warranting that with a response. <laughs> the infant refuses all food, crying incessantly and intolerably sounds like my cat. Um... <laughs> The sound drives X hysterical, and she leaves Spencer and the child. Bye. Um, (laughs) Bye, girl. Spencer attempts to care for the child, and he learns that it struggles to breathe and has developed painful sores. You really are sick, aren't you? Yikes, bro. Spencer. Yeah. Spencer begins experiencing visions. Shock and surprise. Yeah. Again, seeing the man on the planet as well as the lady in the radiator who sings to him as she stomps upon miniature replicas of Spencer's child. And she has like these big puffy like prosthetic cheeks. Yeah. Um, They look like growths on the sides of her face, but they're perfectly symmetrical. Yes. After a sexual encounter with the beautiful girl across the hall, Spencer has another vision, seeing his own head fall off, revealing a stump underneath that resembles the child's face. Spencer's head falls from the sky, landing on a street and breaking open. A boy finds it, bringing it to a pencil factory to be turned into erasers, hence the name Eraserhead. Yep, that's where we get Eraserhead. One of the only, um... It's the only clear point. It's the only clear point (laughs) of the movie. So then, awakened, Spencer seeks out the beautiful girl across the hall, but finds her with another man. He's crushed, so he returns to his room. He takes a pair of scissors and for the first time removes the child's swaddling. It is revealed that the child has no skin. The bandages held its internal organs together, and they spill apart after the rags are cut. The child gasps in pain, and Spencer stabs its organs with the scissors. The wounds gush a thick liquid covering the child, just kind of like the chicken did earlier. Exactly, yeah. Um, The power in the room overloads, causing the lights to flicker. As they flick on and off, the child grows to huge proportions. As the lights burn out completely, the child's head is replaced by the planet seen at the beginning, and Spencer appears amidst a billowing cloud of eraser shavings. The side of the planet bursts apart, and inside the man in the planet struggles with his levers, which are now emitting sparks. Spencer is embraced warmly by the lady in the radiator as both white light and white noise build to a crescendo before the screen turns black and silent. And that's it. Yeah. It's a... And... Did you know this is a 21-page script? I believe it. There's... There's... It's it's probably just mostly direction anyway. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Um, So, it's so funny. When they... When AFI approved this movie for... Because they they will sponsor student films. Mm Mm-hmm. So he made this entirely on the grounds of AFI, and they were the ones who put up the initial backing. Yeah. And so they were like, oh, yeah, 21 pages, minute a page, short film, dope, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Nope. They didn't realize that David Lynch is mostly vibes. Yep. So when they found out it was going to be 90 minutes, they were like, oh, fuck no, we're not doing this. And his professor was like, oh, I'll quit. <laughs> I will quit. That that's that's intense. I've never had a professor say that they would quit for me, so that's pretty intense. My work was never that good. <laughs> and neither was mine. Um, but I also wasn't a director. I don't know. Yeah, I. So it's it was so fucking funny that they were like, they were like, no, dude, he because he'd already tried to make another one, that was also very short, 
in the yeah. script, but it was going to be a 45 minute long film. And they were like, no, this is like, like, a, this is surrealist. This is nonlinear, non-narrative. Like, uh, we can't make, we can't put you b- money behind you to do that. And so they, that's when he came up with Eraserhead, mm-hmm. which he, of course, came to him as he was daydreaming. Listen, um, to live in that man's mind. Well, and what's so funny. So everybody assumes that like David Lynch is all into acid and drugs in general. Yeah. And he's like, no, like, I don't. He, he does transcendental meditation. But it's so funny that so many people think that because a uh, friend of the pod and uh, frequent guest, Prem Rock, mm-hmm. there's a tweet of his that I, I didn't pull up stupidly, but it was one of my one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And he was just like, everybody thinks that Lynch is all, they're all like, oh, Lynch is all like druggy and trippy and everything. And it's like, David Lynch has the, has the entire personality of a guy who smoked weed once in high school. Yeah. Exactly once. No, 100%. And he, I just, I honestly think these things just come to him. I think he's just, I think he's just a weird dude. And I mean weird in like the best way possible. 100%. Like, I think about this too. Like, um, I mean, I'm a pretty normal fucking person. You've seen my writing. It's some fucked up shit. But I think everybody who like, everybody tends to think that like, oh, the twisted mind that made these things. Jason Pargin, right? author of the John Dies of the End trilogy and the uh, the Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick <laughs> series. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh yeah, you write cosmic horror. You must be so weird and so crazy. He's like, nope. I'm a middle-aged white dude from Illinois. Yeah. I, I just, I have a wife and I play video games and I write comedy articles and cosmic horror. Yeah. No, there's, I mean, there's, there's something to be credited about someone's imagination and their ability to see things that they don't that aren't right in front of their face. And, you know, I think, I think it's pretty cool that a lot of writers can have a dream that they, or a daydream, like whatever, a vision that Mm -hmm. then they can, it evolves over time and it snowballs into this, you know, thing that started out as something very small and mundane, but then it just like the layers on top of it that they come up with is where the real magic happens. And then like the little details that David Lynch throws in there or, even the bigger things, like why, why, why did his home have like piles of dirt and gross? But, and because. So just because, yeah. Yeah. Like why, why is um, his father's arm always numb? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he just throws in these like little things that you're just like, okay. Sure. It, it, it begs you to go with it because you're just like maybe that's important, but probably not. Is Mary's mom psychic? Don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Like it's it's stuff like that where it's he he doesn't want to give answers. He wants to just give. It's surrealism, right? Like yeah. it, it's what you bring to the table mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah. Now it can have meaning, and people have tried to analyze all of his work and mine it for meaning because it feels meaningful. Yeah, definitely, and I think that that's again where and we're doing it ourselves it's it, yeah. it, it the more you look at it the more confusing it gets so it just feels a little silly to even do it but yeah i mean we we made this joke a few episodes back but he, someone i was like 2007 uh someone was interviewing him and he's like believe it or not uh i believe Eraserhead is my most spiritual film elaborate on that no <laughs> no <laughs> He's so he's uh, a petulant child in the best way. I have the biggest crush on him. I know you do. And that's completely fair. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people have tried to create meaning out of a lot of his movies. I mean, this one, obviously, there is some sort of like new dad on we going on here. Yeah. Um, that he's possibly commenting on. There's 
I like that it's a twist of like you know the the wife leaving as opposed to. Yeah, we have single fathers. We have single, single father instead of single mother. I like that. That is you know a, a little different. Unfortunately, it's different than what we normally. Um, yeah, and it's encounter. not. And it's not in a Disney way. Oh yeah, where they just um, kill mom. They kill off the screen. mom off. But yeah, it. A lot of people have tried to find meaning in this, thinking that it has a stance on pro-choice or pro-life because he ends up technically killing his spawn i guess yeah so this is interesting um we should should dive into that a little bit right oh yeah so yeah i mean this film definitely doesn't take a stance i don't think yeah i guess it's it 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 doesn't take a stance but it i guess tries to discuss it maybe you can read it either way and i think it is like you were talking about fear of, of new fatherhood and i think that's definitely here because it's like, what do I, what do I do with this? Like, what do this is a child? This is an alien thing to me. This is, uh, like, it's just some part of me. But what is it? How do I keep it alive? How do I care for it? Yeah. Right. Like, what am I doing here? And in that way, it's like, okay, cool. So uh, that that is one view of, of this. And yeah. then there's the like, oh well, he's punished for killing the child, but no, he's not. He goes to heaven. Yeah, that's the song in heaven. In heaven, every, in heaven, everything's fine, right? Yeah. And at the end, he sees the lady in the radiator in heaven. Mm-hmm. Is what it's taken to look like, right? Because white space, right? Yeah. We associate with heaven, not hell. Yeah. And she's smiling, and she's like, "You did a good job," you know? Right, right. <laughs> so it seems like pro-abortion in that moment, you know? Yeah. Or pro-choice. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's looking at, I, th- I think it is looking at quality of life for both of them. Exactly, yeah. So it, yeah, I think you're right. Between between that and then this thing is is extremely sick and probably is never going to be able to live on its own. Right, like she probably even says isn't it was gonna grow. Yeah, probably isn't ever going to grow, probably, like all of these things. And I mean, like... It, it, there's no way that anyone knows how to fix it or care for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even know if doctors exist in this post-apocalyptic. You know, right. like, uh, like we, we know barely a hospital have, does. They we barely say... have healthcare right now. <laughs> like, what what do you think it's going to be like in post-apocalyptic times? You know what I mean? Right. So, and and even if so, it's a, an alien type thing. It's not even like a child with you know. Like, they're not going to know what to do with it. And then his quality of life, too, where he's like, well, lady left. I'm doing this alone. And I don't know how to care for it either. Right. So, you know. Yeah, no, I completely get that. And it's just, yeah, I think it's just the fear of new parents. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it's it the conservatism versus, like, liberalism that I would, I think is more interesting here is the view on sex. Yeah. So that's where I think that we see something like punishment. Mm-hmm is the child is the punishment for them having sex. Yeah. And like the mom's like, oh, you have to get married. Then the hospital will give you the child. God, that's so weird. So there is this like conservative potentially or potentially conservative look at or take on this, right? Yeah, definitely. Of being like, oh yeah, no, like you fucked up and this these are the consequences. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, but the other one is like, I don't know, he's not punished for having sex with the i mean he is in his dream or his vision or whatever he's not but he's not punished with uh for sex with the beautiful lady across the hall true or i mean maybe he is because he does see her with another man maybe that that maybe that's the um punishment yeah but she's not punished like true that's true she's not punished that's a fair point 
So I think it's yeah, that's where I'm like, is what it, again? And I does it have a message? Probably not. It's just vibes. It's Lynch, but it's interesting to think about that, you know? Yeah. Again, elaborate on that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do love the lack of narrative here because this is a movie that I found very uncomfortable. Oh yeah, it's all just pits of despair throughout the whole thing. There is not a single uplifting moment in this entire film. No, and like the only ones are like when uh Henry right Henry, yeah, Henry. When Henry starts trying to care for the child. Like we see him take on a, pater- a like parental role, right? Yeah. And just is like, okay, so let's figure something out. And He's trying, and it's sweet for a moment, but then everything fucks up again. We all know those vibes ain't good, though. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's obviously, yeah, pits of despair, but even more so for me, it was the lack of, like I said, lack of narrative. Like, stripping away narrative is its own version of horror, because narrative mm-hmm. itself can be comforting. Yeah. Like, that's why you get these, there's there's a, there's a, a, there's a, a genre of horror short films called uh, Theater of the Unsettling. Yeah. So that they strip away, they will take away all narrative and it's just upsetting. Yeah. Like rotting things and like yeah. heart surgeries and like. Because humans, you know, just naturally, human nature is to be uh, comforted, and, uh, comforted and satisfied by point A, point B, point C, the end. Yeah. Nobody likes, well, I, I won't say nobody likes, but nobody is comforted by a meandering kind of like pointless because we all secretly fear that our lives are pointless yeah right yeah we fear the we fear a nihilistic take on the world yes exactly so that's kind of that's exactly what david lynch typically kind of preys on for his just inherent horror there are horrific things that he that there are horrific things that happen in his in his pieces but most of it really is that horrific idea of kind of like the Meaninglessness. Meaninglessness and just awful things happening without any purpose. Yeah, I think his two most narrative films are, what, Elephant Man and Dune? Yeah, and then, I mean, you could firewalk with me, which is part of the Twin Peaks. um, It's part of the overarching narrative, but it's it's a narrative beat within a larger non-narrative structure. Yeah, which, so uh, speaking of Twin Peaks, I just wanted to hit on briefly before we uh, sign off today, before we uh, sign off today on how David Lynch characterizes women in his works. Oh, totally. Where uh, my sister and I talked about this in our twin, Pe- our two-part Twin Peaks episode. Yeah, um, go give those a listen. It. They're fun. Yes, shout out. And I, I, I do still believe that his... So his portrayal of women is this campy, hysterical... Um, damsel in distress sort of thing in across the board pretty much like in all of his works especially Twin Peaks and then it's shown in Mary and this and I don't see it as his actual viewpoint of women I see it as he's it's like a satire like he's making fun of how women are have been portrayed in horror films oh previously and he makes it camp it adds to the surrealism it adds to just like the ridiculousness of the whole thing. So yeah, I, I truly do believe that he has women act in a hysterical way, in a dis- a damsel in distress way, in a campy way, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, let's, let's be real. Lynch mostly works in melodrama. Yes. Intentionally so. So I finally saw, uh, I, I finally saw Boogie Nights, right? Yeah. Not a Lynch film, it's 
Paul Thomas Anderson's second. It's my first time seeing a PTA film. Don't come for me. I'm I'm on a journey right now. We all we all have our own journeys. No one should come for anyone. Exactly. So there's this scene that they talk about a lot in film schools from that, where mm-hmm. this movie is generally like generally seen as like a fucking masterpiece. But there's this weird scene between Mark Wahlberg and his mother that is really, really wooden mm-hmm. and so melodrama and it doesn't totally match the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. But I love it. I think it's amazing. Right. Um, it is out of character and I think it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a melodramatic scene. Like it's an overacted soap opera moment, right? Yeah. And part of it's because Mark Wahlberg is a bad actor. Right. But... I think that what it really is, is that it's melodrama can be used to show other ways. Like it can be used to like, I don't know. There's, there's good ways of using melodrama. Yeah. Right. Especially like if you're doing something that is as narrative light as Lynch typically is, Mm -hmm. those melodramas, those melodramatic moments, I think kind of heighten your um, uncomfortability. Yeah. Right, like I think it ties in with his desire to not do high, like not do uh, deep narrative. Mm-hmm. He also wants to unsettle you by showing you something that you're going to say is amazing, and you won't be able to explain why. Yeah, that he's going to make you say that his camp is high art. Yeah, he does that very well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I, Waters is very similar in that way. Oh, Completely yeah, for sure. different. Like Waters right. is is narrative heavy. Yeah, but. He's daring you to love his films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what no, I mean? I, I like that take on it, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, it's never... It's, if, if it's a commentary on how women are portrayed, which is totally likely, um, given that you can go and watch any number of behind-the-scenes videos of David Lynch working with particularly the women who act for him, mm-hmm. he is the most caring, kind, soft man. They'll adore him. He is not creepy whatsoever. There's never been any reports of him being creepy. I know. I was I was very worried about that possibly coming out. He's probably the only person in the world who I would be like, damn. Everyone else, I'm just like, okay, fuck that guy. Right. But with him, I probably would just... Uh, I was crossing my fingers just because, again, there there is a thing called, you know, like the Lynch girls that yeah. he hires. And he they're obviously... Look at the whole cast of Twin Peaks. Fucking attractive Smoke shows, bombshells. Like, so he obviously has, he knows that they're attractive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, objectively, not even just subject, like, objectively attractive people. And he hires objectively attractive people for his films. And I think that there are multiple points for that. And I'm so glad that it hasn't come out that one of the points is that he's creepy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to say he's, like, off scot-free yet, but, like, I'm very glad that we haven't heard anything. Right. But, no, I mean... He's been married and divorced multiple times. Oh, yeah. I'm not like, saying he, he he's not problematic in a relationship. I just, I hope he's not problematic in a work relationship. Uh, yeah. I don't know. No, and I, I, but again, I think at this point we would have heard about it. You know what I mean? You would think unless he really has something under lock and, like, lock and key. I don't know. Maybe, but, like, if it got out about Weinstein, it would True. get out about Lynch. True. That's fair. That's like, fair. Like, Lynch isn't the money. Yeah. It, when true. the money goes down, that's when you know <laughs> you've you've hit a lot of people on the other on the way up. That's true. That's very true. And that's not to say that. Yeah, anyway, I'm not trying to be like 100. percent That's not ever going to happen. But anyhow, I just I I think he has a very positive relate working relationship with women. Yeah. And again, as a partner, can't say anything. But uh, yeah, 
I we, can't say. Yeah, we're we're examining his work, so we should just look at his, you know, exactly his his work relationships. Not whatever goes on in his personal life is not anyone's business. Exactly. His, um, but yeah, um, there the production of this movie is fantastic, mm-hmm. especially for ten grand. Oh yeah, like it's it's, it's all practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either in camera or with uh, clever editing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Obviously, it was there wasn't CGI yet, but yeah, it's really well done puppetry. That the the child looks so good. Well, and it's so since I had a I suppose different David Lynch journey. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I haven't really talked to a lot of other people who feel the way I do about David Lynch. I don't think um, <laughs> other than my sister. The first thing I saw was Twin Peaks. Um, and I watched all of it and then watched the reboot when it came out, the, the return. And then having seen Eraserhead after that, um, was really cool because you see how he came back to that style of filmmaking in the return. My favorite episode that my sister and I again talked about, you can go back to that, um, episode if you want to hear more about our thoughts on that but he really goes back to that eraser head film style mm. in in my favorite episode of the return where you get this very surrealist um you have like the bugs crawling all around it's all it's like in black and white like you get you and and so much of this movie reminded me of that specific episode of the return it was really cool it was really nice. cool to see that he almost like circled back because twin peaks is of course has the David Lynch stank on it. Like, you know oh, that it's by place. him. Yeah. And so does everything he's ever done. But it was really cool to very specifically see that that episode in The Return was definitely a little bit of a love note to Eraserhead. Cool. It had to have been. Yeah. Like, I, I, it, it, it appears the same. It's very, yeah. It's cool. I like that. And yeah, I mean, there's other cool things. So speaking of, like, how he brought things from Eraserhead to Twin Peaks, uh, the original way he was going to do the dialogue was have everything spoken phonetically backwards and reversing the audio. Oh, that would have been really cool. That would have been very cool. That's but... He obviously brought that back in Twin Peaks. Yeah, that and would have I... made this movie just like... <laughs> completely <laughs> wow. over the top. Wow, 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 wow. Um, but no, I, I love that. I, I love that technique that he did in Twin Peaks. I think it's... It's clever and it's, it's, a it's clever unsettling. Way, yeah, it's a clever and unsettling way to separate reality from... Like, even if you weren't in the... Um, why am I blanking on the word? For, like, the, the realm, the the room, the, the red, red room. The re- is it called the red room? Oh, no, no the, the room of black and white or the black and white... Uh, red room? I don't remember what it's I don't called. know why I can't remember that. But anyway, um, it's because I'm on the spot. <laughs> so even if you didn't have a different setting to let us know that we're not really in reality or we're in an alternate reality... Yeah. By doing... It's by, dimensions in Twin Peaks, right? It is, yeah. 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 By doing that that style of, of vocal editing, you would automatically know... You know how like a lot of movies um, or even TV series will change the lighting or they'll make it foggy or they'll, yeah. you know, to know that yeah. you're not. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to. You're in dream logic or you're in whatever. That's another really cool tool that I don't think a lot of people would think of or a lot of people haven't really used. Um, that, yeah, again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to change anything. But if someone, if you edited the audio that way, mm-hmm. I think it would be really, it would be a very unsettling way to let people know that you're not necessarily in reality, even though everything looks the same. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, you're right that it's exact. It's super, super clever that way. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I, I, I love that idea of, yeah, switching up the dialogue in that way. And that's a different way of knowing things because that's just a very Lynch idea. And I don't yeah. like describing things as Lynchian. People use that word and I don't think they know what it means because <laughs> I don't that's think fair. it means anything. A lot of people say things that they don't know what it means, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I think it's really, I think that there was just a lot of great production design in this. And we haven't even touched on the sound yet. And the sound is probably the coolest part of this movie did you know that they released the soundtrack and it was like a joke <laughs> what sound there's one song and like some weird score well that's yeah so they re- everyone wanted like the soundtrack or whatever so they were like okay so they released it and it's just like a bunch of different like weird clangs and like vibes <laughs> and it was released by the the label i believe that was owned by the dead kennedys Oh, for I don't, real? I don't remember the name of the label, but I was just like... Oh, I just found it. It's, uh, yeah, the IRS uh, IRS records. Oh, that's funny. IRS. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Shit, yeah. That's a, that's amazing. That's fucking amazing. No, but, like, the, the sound design in this is probably my favorite in any movie I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I think, the single most unnerving thing about this movie. It is, it is the vibe. Like... Yeah, and it's, it's almost a character in the way that you don't really know it's there, but you know that you're very unsettled. Yes. Which yeah. is how, how music and, and a soundtrack um, and sound design should work in a horror film. It's up there with Halloween in terms of mm-hmm. like things that unsettle me. Yeah. That score yeah. in Halloween and the bum, bum, bum in Halloween, right? Yeah. It's, the, it's to that level of like, and even that... Even here, we're gonna here. I've I've done it. I've done it. I've unified the theory. Okay, I'm ready. The music is also non-narrative because even John Carpenter will hold on to a melody. <laughs> David Lynch will not. David Lynch said, "Melody, I don't know her." True. Because it's it is like clangs and like, um, and like it's mm-hmm. it's it's random notes. Not it's not a melody at all. It's like ASMR gone bad, yeah. but like in the best way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not soothing. It's yeah. It <laughs> sounds opposite. like a steel mill that you slowed down and recorded through a like piece of tinfoil. Yeah, like, it's so fucking cool. In fact, um, our a good friend of ours and um, a, a, a huge, who's also a huge fan of our podcast, uh, FS Chill. Um, he is. He was texting me last night about this, and he was like, "Yo, I'm so stoked that y'all are covering Eraserhead." Uh, that was a huge reference for me um, that for these uh, the score I was working on this uh, horror score I had to work on that's a he had a gig and he was like yeah they pointed me to that and they said this is what you need to listen to this is the vibe we want oh cool so he's so excited shout out to shout out to you Carrie love you bud yeah if you haven't listened to FS Chill on um, I believe I believe they're on Spotify and yeah. iTunes uh, I believe so yeah uh, you're missing out if you haven't listened yet so yeah. F dot S dot C H X L L. Yes. If you haven't listened, then you are truly missing out. Go ahead and stop this right now. Go listen. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're done. You can just like listen to the last 30 seconds of this. and then <laughs> That's true. We're pretty much done, um, which, you know, wrapping this up, my final thoughts are just like, what? Yeah. Which I think is usually everyone's. Right, yeah, and it's I, it's not trippy. I wanted I want that to be sort of my final point is that this movie is not trippy. True, very true. Like this isn't fucking Wizard of Oz. Like Wizard of Oz is trippy. Sure, fine. Yeah, this yeah. isn't Alice in Wonderland. This isn't. Yeah, this isn't all of that. It's, it's not it's, Kubrick. Like it's, it's trippy in a psychological way. It's not trippy yeah. in a visual way. 
I mean, and, sort of. And but. even then, I don't even think it's trippy. It's just sort of like, did I love that or did I just think I was supposed to? Yeah. And I, I think that's marination. a high compliment to Lynch. Yeah. Speaking of Kubrick, did you know this is his favorite film ever? Really? Yeah. Stanley Kubrick told David Lynch, he's like, that's my favorite film of all time. Well, if at I... least his favorite horror film. I, I don't remember if it was his favorite horror film. But Stan, yeah. Stanley Kubrick it put it number praise. one and used it as inspiration for The Shining. Wow. Which is fucking awesome because I love Kubrick. Yeah. High and, praise. But yeah, like from, from like the sort of unanimously known greatest director of all time. If either of them even began to utter my name, I would probably be able to die happy. So oh, like, yeah, I would totally fall get over. It. Totally get it. But yeah, the, that's really my final thought on this movie is just what but also um go watch it just because i do feel like it is a very important part of the horror canon totally and it's the first non-narrative film we've covered yeah this is exact i think this is what i'm the pretty thing that lives in the house was trying to be oh lord but i think it is because that was a that was a vibey low narrative movie yeah i i still am wishing that movie had been better but um, yeah but I, you, you know what i mean I, d- like, I totally this, get there's a lot mean, of people yeah. who have tried to mimic this yeah, yeah yeah no this definitely set some sort of precedent for it, it allowed, I, I believe that it, a lot of reasons why this film is a favorite of a lot of filmmakers and a lot of up and coming filmmakers is that it, it opened this, David Lynch as a whole, and I'm not saying just him, um, but uh, with his work as a whole, really opened the doors to allow people to be like, yeah, I can be fucking strange. I don't need to play into this kind of like cookie cutter genre, totally. you know, anything like it. He gave permission for a lot of people to just go fucking buck wild just like unleash your imagination whatever you find in that sensory deprivation of transcendental meditation Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just run with it and i think that that is is pretty cool in and of itself um again i wouldn't credit him for solely doing that but he definitely he's definitely a he's he's a character in that yeah rotation absolutely but yeah those are those are really my final thoughts to wrap up my experience with this movie bet so you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we have a little website, horrorbabespod.com. All correct. If you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to give us a rating and review on iTunes. I love those. And until next time, bye, bye babes. babes. Hey, Yeah, babe. Yeah, babe.